Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Loon wolves, yes, you heard that right, loon wolves, and the Toronto terror attack. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. Today we're going to be talking about loon wolves, and that is the connection between mental illness and terrorism. And in particular, the reason why this is coming up now, I have talked about it actually before, but apparently one cannot talk about it too many times because um, the media likes to, um, likes to say that the cause of an attack is anything but terrorism. So let's talk about this attack that happened on July 22nd, the latest attack. Um, it's hard to keep them keep track of them all. Uh, it happened in uh, on Danforth Avenue in the Greektown district of Toronto, Canada. It was a mass shooting. And the perpetrator is named Faisal Hussein. Now, <laughs> You didn't know that when it first happened. Nobody knew that because everybody, the authorities, were keeping it under wraps. But as soon as I heard about the shooting, and I happened to catch some video about it, a video of the shooter aiming his gun into a restaurant and shooting, I knew that it was a terrorist. And, and, and you want to know the real way I knew? Because the media wasn't saying it was a terrorist. I mean, when there's an attack of some sort and the media is not showing you a picture of the person or giving you their name, you know that it is likely a terrorist or it could be um, a minority, you know, uh, um, for example, in the States, it could be a Hispanic person. And because of all the politics around that and around immigrants and so forth, there is a hesitation for the media to acknowledge that the perpetrator of some kind of a, I'm not talking about a terrorist attack, obviously, but I mean some kind of a shooting or a, it doesn't even have to be a mass shooting, some kind of crime. Um, there is a tendency, an increasing tendency to not name or show pictures of the perpetrator if they are, if they can be seen as having some sort of ethnicity. So, um, other than white. So, um, getting back to the Danforth shooting, as it's called, because it was on Danforth Avenue, um, I tweeted right as soon as I heard about it. And yes, that was sticking my neck out, but I was really pretty sure, and it is turning out that I am very much um, most likely at this point, although there's still no official confirmation, uh, ISIS is claiming that it was a soldier of theirs, not that that means that it was necessarily true, but so far it is looking like it very much could well have been a man who was influenced by terror. And I'll tell you how that is. I mean, we, we really have evidence of that, but 
it takes forever for the authorities to acknowledge it. So anyhow, as soon as I heard this and I saw the picture online of the perpetrator, I tweeted, while media are being coy about who Toronto Shooter is, not giving us name or close-up photo, I say he's wearing all black and copying Paris terror attack on restaurants in November 2015 makes it pretty likely he's a terrorist. Now I got tons of hits and retweets and likes and all of that. So I was not apparently the only one who was thinking this way before, right pretty soon after it happened, way before there was any hint, official hint of him actually being connected in some way to terrorism. So it happened uh, uh, at 10 p.m. July 22nd, which was a Sunday, this past Sunday. Um, he, this man started shooting, originally shooting pedestrians uh, and then randomly before he got into a stance, you know, to um, like a shooting stance and opened fire on crowded restaurants. He shot at Christina's restaurant, um, another restaurant named Dimitri's and another restaurant named Seven Numbers. Now, you know, <laughs> Hello, that was, remember the uh, November 13th, 2015 attacks in Paris, uh, the Bataclan attack and so on, where they then attacked the restaurants. This just totally seemed like he was copying that. Now, we will never know for sure, probably, whether he was copying that because he killed himself uh, after he got into a, a fight with police, a gunfire, um, fight with police, he then shot himself. Now, there were two people, he killed two people, and he injured 13. And lo and behold, it took, as it came out later, his name is Faisal Hussein. Now, you know, the police and the media knew that if they said that from the very beginning, that his name is Faisal Hussein, um, a typically Muslim name, that people were going to jump to conclusions, as they would say, and think that this was a terror attack. <laughs> uh, which indeed, I, as I still stand behind, I believe that it was. Now, he's in kind of an interesting guy. He was 29 years old, Faisal. He was 29 years old. He was born to Canadian parents of Pakistani origin. Um, right after this attack happened, his parents issued a public statement that claimed that he was mentally ill. You know, this is a total, total pattern, not only of the authorities not wanting to show a picture of the perpetrator, give his name if it's an ethnic sounding name, um, but, uh, but the families, the next thing that happens when the name finally does come out or the, you know, when the perpetrator is identified, the family comes out and says, um, and sometimes neighbors as well, sometimes says, there's no way that my son was a terrorist. He had mental health problems and I tried to get him help. And this, this has nothing to do with ISIS or ISIL or anything to do with terrorism. Well, you can judge for yourself by the time this podcast is over. Um, that's now the interesting thing is, and as I will be talking about, just because somebody has mental problems does not mean that he is not influenced 
by terrorists, that he was not inspired by ISIS or any other terrorist group. And in fact, these groups, terrorists, are, um, are hoping for, if not purposely targeting, people with mental illness. And I'm going to talk all about why that happens uh, a little bit later on. Now, um, his, Bezel Hussein was, um, you know, having a very unhappy family life. Um, and well, as I was saying, his parents said that he was psychotic and depressed throughout his life. In 2010, he told a friend that he was seeing a psychiatrist. The family had lots of trauma. Um, there was the death of his sister in a car accident, and his brother is in a, a coma after he had a stroke. And it is thought in some reports to have been drug-related, drug abuse-related, an overdose. Um, now, some, of course, there's a neighbor, there's always a neighbor, right, who said Faisal Hussein was not religious and didn't participate in Friday prayers. I mean, that may, this all may well be true. It does not mean that he was not inspired by terrorism. In 2010, he was investigated under the Mental Health Act. Uh, he wasn't on any federal watch lists in Canada. Um, there are some interesting things from his childhood. A teacher and a fellow student has spoken out. The teacher said that um, he, when he was, when Faisal was a, um, a student at Victoria Park College, the school called the police nine years ago after this teacher had a very alarming conversation with him in class. So the teacher asked Faisal, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to do with your life? And Faisal replied, I want to kill someone. So the teacher said, you know, of course he was stunned. And then he said, why? What did they do to you? And Faisal said, no, I just want to kill somebody. I think it would be cool. So that's when they took him into custody and investigated him under the Mental Health Act and apparently did squat, didn't um, put him on a list, didn't, um, although at that time perhaps he wasn't influenced by terrorists, he was just, um, you know, mentally ill and, and angry. Um, but in any case, they obviously did not cure him or treat him sufficiently for his mental illness. Now, during that same time, there was a classmate who said that she remembers him carrying around a notebook that he would sketch in during class. She said, it was always very dark and hard for me to understand. She said that she was friends with him on Facebook and he would post pictures of guns and make worrisome comments. Quote, he would talk about beating up his mom, this classmate said. I vividly remember that because I reached out to him and said, that's super inappropriate. And I really hope these are just lyrics and you're not meaning these things. Well, <laughs> apparently he meant these things. And yes, boy, as a psychiatrist, would I love to have him on my couch and ask him about his relationship with his mother. I mean, clearly there were problems in the family. Um, 
Although the sister's car accident might well not have been her fault or anything related to mental illness or mental or psychological problems even, but the brother abusing drugs and or being in a coma, I mean, he is in a coma, which may well have been due to drugs, also reflects some dysfunction in the family. Faisal was an interesting young man. Um, his family talked about, after the attack, his family talked about how they are utterly devastated uh, and said that he had severe mental health challenges, struggling with psychosis and depression his entire life. He was 29. He worked in a grocery store named Loblaws. And, um, and, and the family has said in various reports that they tried to get him mental health treatment and that nothing worked. Well, I want to make sure this is a, a super important point that really has nothing to do with terrorism per se, but you should know that if somebody has mental illness, whether it's schizophrenia, manic depressive illness, just depression, um, whatever their mental illness is, there is no such thing as it not being able to be treated. Now, uh, schizophrenia and manic depressive illness, also called bipolar, are lifelong illnesses. I mean, you, you don't cure them, but like diabetes, they can be managed such that the uh, symptoms of the illness are, are managed and um, really what, it, what management means is the person needs to typically be hospitalized during what's called their first break, their first evidence of psychosis. And then they need to be put on medications for the appropriate psychosis, um, schizophrenia or manic depressive illness. And then they also need therapy, psychotherapy. And this is where most people uh, fall away from the mental health system, never get sufficiently managed because a, any kind of medication, I mean, there are specific, there are good medications that uh, treat those illnesses, will treat any kind of mental illness. Um, you know, even if it's just depression on its own, there are antidepressants, there are all kinds of medications. There's a whole plethora of medications. You need a good psychiatrist who knows which medications to use and how, how much and how to dose it and so on. But there is no shortage of medications. So when people say, and again, this could have nothing to do with terrorism, but when people say that um, their son or daughter or parent or friend um, went for treatment and nothing would treat them. No medicine would work. Well, that's no, no, that's not true. Um, they just were, they just, first of all, were probably with a very inept psychiatrist. And unfortunately, I hate to tell you, but there are many of those. Um, and or they did not get therapy. I mean, what happens these days, this is my pet peeve, you may have heard me talk about it before. What happens is that because so many psychiatrists have become pill pushers, as opposed to doing therapy, um, they see a person for maybe anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes, and they give them a prescription. They send the person, the patient away for anywhere from one to three months. And when the patient comes back, 
if they still have the same symptoms or um, if maybe they've gotten a little better, but they haven't gone away altogether, then the psychiatrist writes another prescription and throws that at them. And losing the whole point all along that what this person needs, first of all, even just in regard to medication, they need to be seen every week until the right dose of medication is found, side effects are avoided, because that's another thing that sometimes happens if somebody, if the psychiatrist picks the wrong medication and the person uh, has side effects, that may, is, and they don't have an appointment for another one to three months, they must, they might say, oh, just the, the hell with it, um, and be lost to treatment. So, you know, when you're starting someone on medication, you need to see them every week, um, even if it's only to regulate the medication, figure out if this is the right medication, the right dose, figure out what time of day to give it to him. All these things um, have effects to determine whether it's going to be a successful medicine for that person's problems or not. But the main problem is that no medication is a cure or is a management tool even. No medication alone is a sufficient management tool for anybody's mental illness because what they need is therapy to get to the bottom of the problems. So anyhow, getting back to Faisal, um, obviously, he did not get the right treatment. He did not stick with treatment. His parents should have made sure that he continued, maybe picked a different psychiatrist, made sure that, that he continued in treatment. Because to say now, especially after this devastation of the attack, um, to say that, you know, oh, well, we tried, but he didn't get cured. Um, you know, we're talking two deaths in addition to his own uh, suicide and 13 injured. So you can't just say, oh, well, uh, you know, blame it on the mental health system. So um, then um, the after the attack, uh, again, this is another reason why the family cannot uh, escape blame. After the attack, the police went to the apartment that Hussein shared with his parents and lo and behold you know they had a, they got a search warrant and um they found um they found weapons uh, and the parents didn't know that there were these weapons there uh, ammunition and large capacity magazines found in were found in this apartment now really how big could the apartment have been um and how did these parents uh, not know, and if they and if they knew that he had mental illness, I mean, add the two together. If they are admitting, you know, or or um, hiding behind the fact that he had mental illness, then do you think maybe you should keep guns and ammunition away from the house where your son is mentally ill? Especially if you're going to say that he, you know, they you tried to get help for him and nothing happened. Nobody cured him. I mean, it's absurd. It's absurd. Um, parent, families need to be given uh, more punishment, need to be held responsible for when their children uh, can conduct these kinds of attacks. Because, I mean, not all parents, but in situations like this where clearly they would have and should have known that this was a powder keg that they literally, that they were sitting on top of. 
Um, they also found, and again, this goes back to my having said from the get-go um, that he was a terrorist. They also found that he visited ISIL websites. And they're saying um, that he may have expressed support for ISIS or ISIL and could have lived in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Now, what does that mean? That means that they have evidence that he did do these things, but they're not ready to acknowledge it yet. He visited ISIL websites. Um, he could have lived in Afghanistan and Pakistan. I mean, um, <laughs> they have some information about that or else they wouldn't even be saying that. But they're trying to say that he was not directed by ISIL. Um, now, ISIL or ISIS, the, the, uh, the news agency, the terrorist news agency, has claimed uh, that he was, quote, from the soldiers of Islamic State. And yet the Toronto police are still denying that there is evidence of an ISIL connection. So, yes, indeed, ISIL or ISIS may not have been giving him step-by-step -step directions, but clearly he was being influenced by their philosophy, which was to, um, which was aimed at lone wolves, getting people to, um, to follow their, their philosophy, to, to do what they, you know, their propaganda, and to, um, to conduct attacks. Now, um, we have seen this kind of thing before, where the mentally ill have been involved in terror attacks and where families or neighbors or friends have tried to blame it on their mental illness and not on them being a lone wolf influenced by terrorists. So if one major one, for example, was the man in Nice, a 31-year-old man who used his truck to crush 86 people to death on the promenade. And his father, rushed to tell reporters that his son had once su suffered a nervous breakdown. Another example is Omar Mateen, the terrorist who uh, killed scores of people at the Orlando nightclub. Some relatives said that he was bipolar. We also know that he was uh, committed um, domestic violence. And so now Faisal Hussein is the latest in this long line of people who may have had mental illness and then committed terror attacks. But do, who do we blame for that? Faisal Hussein, who seems to be the latest in this loon wolf phenomenon, um, people who may well have mental illness uh, but this does not give them or their families the excuse to say that they weren't inspired by terrorism. Now, um, the terrorists have two main ways of trying to get people to commit terror attacks. One of them is where uh, the, the people, the soldiers of terrorism, are carefully guided. Um, you know, there are not most, most often by the internet and also by uh, encrypted messages. And they're hands-on, they guide them closely, and so on. But that's um, seeming to be a smaller group of people than those lone wolves who are 
uh, affected by the propaganda that terrorists put out over the internet. Broad propaganda. I gave the example in a previous podcast about um, the World Cup and the propaganda that terrorists were putting out on the internet to get people to attack the World Cup. And fortunately, there wasn't a mass attack, but there still was that incident of the taxi driver who mowed down people in the street. That um, is another example of, you know, the authorities and the media not wanting to call that terrorism. But um, there has not been, so far, it has not been disproven that he was a terrorist or that he was inspired by terrorism. So the more that they have seeds of propaganda on the internet um, that make it seem like it would be a very exciting, adventurous um, life or a thing to do, um, the more they are inspiring lone wolves, people who may not have gone to a meeting for terrorists, um, you know, they, they are in a group, in a cell, but, um, but they see these messages on the internet and um, because they are angry at society, because they have a purposeless, meaningless life, because they um, may have had a background uh, where they went to prison or jail and they um, heard people trying to radicalize uh, others in jail and maybe they didn't get you know, sufficiently radicalized then, but, but they're still remembering those messages, all different kinds of reasons. But the uh, ISIS and Al-Qaeda and terrorists are trying to find these people who are vulnerable, who are on the edge, and who can be easily influenced to commit a terror attack, like Faisal. So, um, in fact, there has been research that shows that um, a significant portion of the people who commit acts of terror suffered from mental illness. They found out that approximately a third of 76 people who were involved in 55 attacks in 2017 were found to have a history of what they're calling psychological instability. I mean, it kind of makes sense. You know, it's not clear, you know, what they're, uh, what they're calling psychological instability. I mean, whether that's severe mental illness or just um, sort of lost souls. But in any case, the, the message is that a significant number of people, in other words, you know, someone who's having a great life and is very healthy and, and happy and all that is not likely to fall prey to propaganda on the internet of terrorists or, or anywhere, even in real life. Um, so they are, they, these people, um, the way that they're describing psychological instability means that they at least had some symptoms of mental distress. Now, again, that's a little vague. But, um, but again, one in the past, some examples, as I mentioned, the niece attack, uh, whose father said that he had all this psychiatric treatment after a nervous breakdown. But, you know, you have to remember, these people can't be that out of it because these attacks 
um, particularly the example of Nice, you know, that took planning. And if you remember, when the um, police came and asked him what he was doing in his truck on the boardwalk, he said that he was delivering ice cream. And um, they believed him. And of course, that was part of political correctness because he was an immigrant and, you know, they didn't want to be um, seen, the police didn't want to be seen as, as being prejudiced. And we know, we know where that got them. Um, there's also, there was also in 2014, a man named Martin Couture Rouleau, who rammed his car into a pair of Canadian soldiers, killing one. And his father said he had tried and failed to admit his son into psychiatric care. And then they let him out the next day because he didn't want to be there. Now, I, I will tell you that I, as a psychiatrist, I do think that psychiatrists should shoulder some of this blame. We have another, at least one other example um, of psychiatrists letting someone out who then committed a terror attack uh, very shortly after. And that was the man who was put in a psych hospital in Alaska. Do you remember that? Uh, he went to the FBI. He told them that he was uh, being made to watch videos of ISIS killing people. Now, this it was such a typical schizophrenic kind of description that he gave, and they brought him to a mental hospital. And what did the mental hospital do? Because there are rules in place of how long you can keep someone against their will, like typically 72 hours, and then you have to go before some kind of a, a judicial a judge or someone connected to a court and say why you need to keep the person longer, uh, for like for 30 days. It depends on the state and so on. But, um, but they let him out, and then he went to Florida, and he's the one who committed the attack at the airport. I hope you remember that. So, so that is where, you know, we get this idea of calling these people loon wolves, wolves, a play on lone wolf. And, um, but again, these people um, are, are together enough, with it enough, to be able to prepare and, and carry out attacks. Some are more complicated than others. Um, now, of course, you know, in, in schizophrenia, in, in paranoid schizophrenia, those people can be very intelligent and very logical. And I mean, aside from their hallucinations and delusions, um, they, uh, and paranoia, they can, um, in fact, perpetrate um, or just in life can do things that take a lot of uh, complex acts put together. So, um, and, and, you know, another interesting aspect in mania uh, from manic depressive illness, one of the symptoms is that they be, is religiosity, it's called. They become obsessed with religion and their delusions and hallucinations can ha usually have or often have uh, religious themes. So can, you can see how they would be very vulnerable to... Um, a religion or, well, to terrorists who claim that they are doing this in the name of religion. They are really, it's not really what Islam is, but they claim that this is what it is and how, how easy it is to get someone who's mentally ill to believe in these things. So, um, you know, part of that is because people who are mentally ill, as I was saying, have, uh, it's with some mental illnesses, have delusions, have hallucinations, 
And so it is very easy to mix up, you know, or incorporate the, um, the propaganda of the terrorists into their hallucinations and delusions. And, um, and to, to make, it, make it seem very normal for them, make them act on it. So, um, so this is really, you know, it's, it's certainly not an excuse. Families cannot come out, even when they say that they're very sorry, you know, of course, they always say that they're sorry for the victims and so on. But, um, but um, that is not an excuse. And um, with um, Faisal Hussein, his, I was talking about his um, sister dying in a car accident and his brother uh, overdosing on drugs. There are some reports, there are differing reports, but like one report talks about how he overdosed on drugs, the brother, last summer and ended up in a vegetative state at a hospital. And this brother had twice been arrested once on charges that he sold crack cocaine, and again when he was accused of possessing ammunition and failing to comply with his bail conditions. So, and the, the neighborhood organization, a social service center in the neighborhood where Faisal lived with his family, uh, said it's kind of tragedy after tragedy. Yes, <laughs> it's certainly tragedy for the people who were killed and injured in this attack. So we need to have a different view of um, a broadened view when someone commits an attack. Number one, we need to have um, the media and the authorities. Not to, I'm not saying that they should jump out there and say this is a terror attack before they have any inclination. But at the same time, they shouldn't hide the name of the person once the, the perpetrator, once they figure it out, nor hide the pictures of the person. I mean, typically nowadays with people having their, <laughs> their cell phones handy, it's often um, people who are witnesses who put the pictures on the, on the internet before the so-called authorities. So we need to really look at this whole issue of there being more and more loon wolves and looking at the families, just how much did they do to get the person treatment? And looking at the mental health system, just how much did they do to treat the person? How well did they treat them? Yes, of course, they couldn't have necessarily known that this person was going to turn out to be a terrorist or be influenced by terrorist propaganda, um, although they certainly should have been able to tell that the person had violent propensities, especially since he told his teacher when he was a little kid that he wanted to, or um, that he wanted to kill somebody. Um, you know, I mean, so psychiatrists should be able to pick that up. So everyone kind of needs to share in the blame and share in the solution. So thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, 
your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.